everybody, and welcome to Volume 5, Issue 230 of the Cane and Rinse Podcast. You can play along with us and our podcast, and the next five shows we have lined up in Volume 5. We're now careering towards the end of our fifth year, unbelievably. But we have The Legend of Zelda, The Wind Waker, up next. Following that, 80 Days. And then it's Rock Band, the whole Rock Band series, of course, uh, including The Beatles and uh, all four games in that series. After that, Telltale's a comic adaptation, The Wolf Among Us. And then we return to Zelda for a show about Four Swords and Four Swords Adventures and all things Four Swords. Head to canerince.com for articles, features, reviews, videos, other bits and bobs, links to our forum, of course, Facebook page where we have news and our YouTube channel where we have those videos. And if you enjoy what we do, you can support us in more than one way these days. Uh, if you want to help us uh, help our smooth our ride financially, you can subscribe. Subscribe if you want to our Patreon, pledge to our Patreon, a dollar a month or more or whatever you think. Uh, that's patreon.com slash rinse and it's incredibly gratefully received, as is uh, any money that we get uh, our small cut from spreadshirt.co.uk slash rinse where you can buy spiffing T-shirts and bags with the Cane and Rinse and Sound of Play logos. Yes, that's our other podcast, Sound of Play, which celebrates our love of video games music, uh, sometimes we just have a regular show, which is nine picks with uh, picks from the community. Sometimes we have uh, somebody else from either Cana Rince or the wider community. Sometimes we even have composers on to share their own work and to talk about their favourites. Uh, that now comes out every Wednesday and is well worth subscribing to. We're also uh, very much in need of reviews and ratings for that show, and we still welcome them for Cana Rince on iTunes or Stitcher Radio or TuneIn or wherever else you get your feed from. Uh, it's all incredibly gratefully received even constructive criticism oh yes so joining me Leon Guscox in issue 230 are Carl Axelmoon hey guys Ryan BD Joe Heyman I've been practicing my smile <laughs> and Dan Gina Clark someone had to get the short straw hello everyone why is that a short straw? Well, I, I don't, don't see. <laughs> I suppose you're right. <laughs> <laughs> I don't. I don't see Gina as being a short straw. Um, yeah, we'll talk about our, our favourite characters later in the uh, later in the podcast. So, uh, Crazy Taxi was made by Sega Hitmaker, uh, formerly Sega AM3, I yeah. think. And um, AM3, well, you know, they made a lot of great stuff, such as. Uh, uh, Sega Rally um, and Hitmaker was when they Sega um, renamed all their studios at the end of the 90s and Hitmaker also soon incorporated Sega Rosso as well but that's another set of uh, another set of folks now the designer uh, the main man for Crazy Taxi is one Kenji Kano and uh, he, this was his third game after having worked on the uh, System 32 version of Jurassic Park was that there was that a on rails light gunny thing was it yeah, I think so. I remember sitting on a bench for it, so it seems like it would be... Yeah. Nice. And then uh, the sort of um, innovative, controlled, uh, skatey one, Top Skater, 1997. Um, I'm going to guess at least one or two or possibly all of you played Top Skater back in the day? Yes. Yes. Mm, nope. No? Okay, you're probably too young, Ryan. Uh, <laughs> guys, what do you remember about 
top skater because I remember it being um, it, it was it was excitedly received by skating fans. Well, I played it years after the time, um, so <laughs> I spotted one in I think we were in Paris in at Euro Disney and um, sorry Disneyland right. Paris as it's <laughs> now known. Um, and it was it must have been like the early 2000s, so it was a bit janky, and the board might have been a little bit broken. But um, mm. but I did shove in a good few euros and uh, and enjoyed it for what it was. Nice, Carl. Yeah, Memories we of top skater. We had a top skater um, in the arcades in in Red Car, which is the town near me. It's actually where I live now, but it wasn't at the time. And uh, it, it was it came at a time when the arcades were sort of running down on their budget, but we had one that stayed true and constantly got the big machines in, and it, and it got top skater in. So that was always the arcade that you would go and visit, and I'd throw pounds in at a time. Uh, quite a lot of pounds. I did enjoy it. I think it was more the interactivity with the board at the time, and and I was sad to see it go. But oddly enough, the game that actually replaced Top Skater was Crazy Taxi, so it was quite okay. fitting. Yeah, yeah, uh, and and Top Skater was another of uh, of sort of the very much that era of Sega's uh, coin ops. Obviously, you know, lots of fast moving, solid polygons and blue skies, and. Yeah. Probably a Gen X soundtrack as well. I don't remember. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it was for that. But yeah, um, and yes, obviously, I was going to ask who actually played the Crazy Taxi coin op because I don't think I ever did. Um, really? So it came out in uh, so in nineteen ninety nine. Uh, it was on the Naomi board, which was the new arcade operation machine idea, um, which shared a lot of or basic architecture chipset wise with uh, the Dreamcast. Um, and you know that supposedly would obviously make home ports that much more straightforward, but uh, Naomi boards were quite distinctly more powerful than a vanilla Dreamcast. Um, they had yeah. more memory, and you could even um, stack up these arcade boards, link them together for for further performance. Um, and obviously, the the Dreamcast port of this um, turned out pretty much spot on with some extras that we'll obviously talk about. Um, but they did have to come up with a solution because obviously an arcade board is running off basically a cartridge full of chips. Um, so solid state straight into memory kind of thing, whereas the Dreamcast had this... Um, uh, bespoke GD-ROM, I think they called it. What was, yeah. I can't even remember yeah, what GD stood for. Yeah, Giga Yeah, Giga Disc ROM. Okay, yeah, and that came out um, some months after the uh, the arcade version. Um, but they managed to work some uh, some on the fly streaming out, and so actually the the in game performance. If you were sufficiently far enough away from the disk drive so that you couldn't hear the constant whirring and grinding, uh, it, it, to to the untrained eye, it wasn't uh, it wasn't really any different. Um, to the arcade machine, which was impressive. Uh, we'll talk a bit about the ports that happened later because this obviously was the... This happened right on the edge of Sega pulling out of the hardware market yeah. and going into uh, licensing their IPs for other machines. So some people may have played this on PS2 or GameCube or possibly the later PSP version uh, or possibly only the uh, the more recent um, PS3, Xbox Live Arcade uh, and Steam PC version. There was a PC version back in the day, but apparently it ran uh, appallingly. Um, I think the one that we play now, the one that is available now, is based on that, but obviously it just runs that much better on modern hardware. And there have been some changes, but there are there are a lot of um, things to discuss about those ports uh, that we'll come to later. Um, and 
also came to iOS and Android quite re- relatively recently, 2012 and 2013, made outside of uh, the other studios, um, saying Sega of America or China. Yeah, I'm not entirely sure because it looks like the credits are the same across the um, PS3, 360, um, the updated PC version and the mobile version. So I'm not entirely sure um, yeah. where it stands, but it looks like the only people that are credited with sort of proper development jobs rather than uh, translation and uh, local production and that kind of thing. Like the only sort of okay. real testers and um, pr- programmers are from Sega of China and then Sega of America seems to be the ones heading it up with the sort of real project managers and that kind of thing. So sure, a bit up in the okay. air. We'll, uh, we'll, we'll talk call a it Sega bit. Studios. <laughs> Sega Studios, yes, go. if in doubt. Uh, yeah, and we'll, we'll talk a little bit more about what that port might be like. Um, I don't know if any of us have touched it, but we'll, we'll come on to that. So reviews for, obviously, the arcade game didn't really receive reviews in the same ways in the, in the, in the wider gaming press. But the uh, Dreamcast version was reviewed, uh, according to GameRankings.com, uh, by 37 different outlets and averaged 90.19%. But let's start by uh, remembering our own personal histories of the game. Uh, did we play at the arcades? Did we just cane the Dreamcast version? Have we played it since? Let's start with our always welcome returning guest, Dan. Um, I think it came with my Dreamcast. I think the three games I got with it were Soul Calibur, Sonic Adventure and Crazy Taxi. Nice. So um, that was a nice... I, it's one of those things where it got to the point where, well, if it comes with a fighting game, a single-player game and a driving game, that's me happy <laughs> for a couple Sorted. hundred quid. If it, yeah, that's yeah. that's me done. And um, I didn't really expect much of it. I'd read about it in Arcade Magazine, I think. I think they'd reviewed the both the arcade version and then later on um, said that the Dreamcast version was a great conversion or port, yeah. however. Um, and then I think it was the last of the three games that I actually played, um, which means that I spent time on Sonic Adventure before Crazy Taxi. What was I thinking? Um, and... The, it was just the simplicity just sort of grabbed me like uh, like very few games have. It's similar to sort of your, your Pac-Mans or your um, the the breakout style of game. Something that feels like it can only really be done the once and that's it. Sort of moulded in clay. Like a Super Monkey Ball is a kind of similar example. Where, yeah. Um, just a sort of perfect concept done... Uh, done well, done simply, and uh, but with plenty of depth. Um, so, did you end up, uh, yeah, a game that you were just going to dip in and dabble? Did you end up being like acing the Crazy Box and all that sort of stuff? Yeah, I ended up going all the way through Crazy Box, and then it all it became all about the S licenses. By the time you'd got to a certain amount of hours playing it, I just wasn't happy unless you'd got the uh, Class S license at the end. So it kind of yeah. trains you into that sort of higher level of play. I think. Uh, and did you get? Did you collect any of the ports? Have you bought any of the more recent versions? I've played a bit of the PSP version. Um, I I rented the GameCube version at the time just to see what it was like. Mm. PS2 I've played around a lot of people's houses, and uh, it just didn't feel. None of them felt like the Dreamcast version. It's, no, uh, even the 360 and PS3 ports don't quite no. gel with me the same. No, no. I, we'll, iOS we'll... is another matter, though. I've um. I've kind of okay. fallen in love with that version in a funny way. Oh, fantastic. It's, it okay. just feels like such a solid um, port. It runs at um, 60 frames a second if you've got a device above, say, an iPhone 5S or a, um, yeah. that generation of, of chips. Um, and then the controls have been changed, obviously. It's, uh, yeah. Uh, but for if you're not going for high-level play, if you just want a little knockabout fun run around the city, 
Mm. The touchscreen controls actually feel, they remind me quite a lot of uh, the, the arcade experience, all that sort of Dreamcasty funny D-pad that was on there. So Yeah, yeah, um, okay. Yeah, I really, really enjoy that version. If it had um, controller support for uh, MFI yeah. controllers, it would be by far and away my favourite of all of the versions. Huh. If you had it on a on an iPad, you're playing it on a sort of decent-sized screen as well. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's really interesting. Um, yeah, as I say, we'll talk more about uh, ports, pros and cons later. Uh, thanks, Dan. Carl? Yeah, my first introduction to Crazy Taxi obviously predates the Dreamcast version. Uh, being lucky enough to be brought up uh, near enough a seaside town, there was always the chance that I'd be able to play it. Uh, obviously, the arcades were starting to decline a little bit, so it was a bit out of hope. But I was I was aware of Crazy Taxi, and I'm not entirely sure why. It was probably in a little side column in a Games Master, a CVG, or an, a, an issue of Edge, something like that. And I liked the concept, so it was sort of in hope that our arcades might get it. And by this point, I was in a town, I think we have about eight good arcades, and slowly by surely, one by one, you could see them going towards this sort of gambling, the gambling machines and the slot machines and stuff method, and you, I was really starting to hope because, but from the mid-90s, they always had a big, strong Sega presence, you know, the likes of Daytona and onwards, and one arcade sort of stayed true, so after Top Skater, I was like, well, we might get it, and all the pictures I'd seen were of a, a, a standing cabinet where a lot like the ones that most of us probably played Chase HQ on, yeah, with just the wheel just mm. underneath the screen, and I was thinking, well, we might get that. Well, going to the arcades was sort of something you would go with a group of friends and you'd get the training or you'd have to go in with family and then you'd obviously you'd find the detour because it was never so bad. Um, and I walked in, and it wasn't a standing unit, and it was right in the middle of the floor. It was a big sit-down, half-taxi job with a massive screen. Wow. I, was like, I was like, right, where's me bag of pounds? So mm. sort of ran in, just you know, sat down. I must have spent the better part of an hour uh, just piling pound after pound after <laughs> pound into this machine, getting a little bit further. Um, and I, obviously it was terrible, and I was always a sucker for the big machines, whether it was Afterburner or Cruising. Uh, USA and then Cruising World and stuff that we had throughout the arcade. So if, if any machine can get me to sort of sit down and play for any period of time, I, I'm loving it. And obviously as a racing game aficionado, I I was in heaven uh, with this machine and the speakers were blaring loud and hmm. um, that seaside air. And it's just that perfect moment where everything comes together that you're just purely happy. Um and I would find an excuse to try and get to Redcar every weekend or every other weekend and just spend money that was never mine to spend, be it my grandparents or, or, or my mum and my dad. Um, and then one day it was gone, replaced by 18-wheeler, mm. um, mm. which was Same series last, of games. But yeah. yeah, it was probably the last of the great arcade machines from Sega that were, that were these big sit-down units. And right. But for that period of time, it must have been... Uh, Two years that, that this crazy taxi machine was in there. It was it was great, and I've got a Dreamcast at launch. Um, anticipated the release of Crazy Taxi, got that when it came out, and still found an excuse to go to the arcade to play this <laughs> uh, cabinet. So I was playing both versions at once, but it, it it was the two versions felt very distinct. Mainly that you approach an arcade machine like an arcade machine that you know each. 
each credit is a little life that you just play in that moment and then when you get it at home you actually start breaking the game down to get methods um so i i very much played them differently which seems really strange given that the dreamcast version was so close to the arcade release mm. it was um you know it, it, it again it came at a time where arcade perfect was something that was sort of heralded um and, and many games that weren't arcade perfect were still called as such but crazy taxi is maybe one of the closest that i would yeah, ever say sure, them, that sure. made it to being that arcade perfect yeah um so yeah the dreamcast wasn't intentionally bought for crazy taxi but for a long period of time that became my little crazy taxi machine at home as well uh ryan uh you would have been pretty young when this came out so do you remember it at the arcades or did you come by it later on yeah originally um i I never had an arcade that I would go to regularly. Like I wasn't an arcade loyal of any one specific spot. Like some of you guys talk about sometimes get a little bit jealous of that because it sounds like a cool thing growing up. But anytime that I would magic. find my way into an arcade, like I would make sure to hunt down the the crazy taxi unit uh, as well as the Star Wars Episode One racer and maybe a Mortal Kombat or something. But uh, I, I I do remember playing from time to time the both the sit down and the stand up units and. Um, and I always really enjoyed them. Um, I didn't ever have a Dreamcast, and I didn't buy it on the GameCube, but I did rent uh, like Crazy Taxi 3 a couple times on the Xbox back in the old like blockbuster days. And so, you know, I didn't get to spend a ton of time with it, but I, I got a couple, you know, solid weeks of, of enjoying that one for what it was. Oh, and, and since then, I have come to the uh, the HD remakes on the PC and the PS3 as well. Yes, yes. Well, we'll talk about that. Uh, yeah, so for me, I don't remember ever playing the coin-op version. Um, I have a vague recollection of, having see, of seeing a stand-up cab, but I can't remember if it was in Brighton or in London or in Japan when I was there um, some years after it came out. Um, I I got my Dreamcast just after launch. I got it off a guy at work who bought it and then immediately sold it uh, with a load of stuff. So I got it with um, Sonic Adventure, of course, and Power Stone and uh, uh, Trick Style. Um, Crazy Taxi wasn't out yet, nor was Soul Calibur. So I got those, you know, as, as soon as they hit the shelves, basically. Um, they both came with 60 hertz options as well, which was a new innovation that was hitting the PAL market, games with actual uh, NTSC uh, game speed options. So that was fabulous. Um, yeah, and I played it a ton on Dreamcast over, I guess, a good two or three years um, on and off. Uh, mainly the original city in arcade mode. I was quite happy playing that. Um, we'll talk about the, the different locations later. Uh, but I also did play a lot of Crazy Box, and I'm pretty sure I did. I did um, do pretty much everything in that, which I can't do now on the 360 version. <laughs> it's it's beyond me. Some of those later challenges, um, I would need to go back and put in a lot of practice. But some of them, I think, are, are now harder to do due to some of the shortcomings of the of the port, maybe. Um, I remember this game, it's hard to overstate just how impressive and flash this game looked at the time. Um, we were, so f when, it, when it came out, we were like five, six years after Ridge Racer and Daytona had blown us away with, um, you know, super fast, high res, filled, textured polygon graphics. Um, in the early mid 90s um, but this was uh, a real like 
technical tour de force. It was a real show of of video video game power, and even more so at home. I remember. Uh, I think my only other Dreamcast owning friend at the time, because most people were, as most people did, holding on for the PS2. Uh, one other friend got got a Dreamcast, and I remember him holding a house party around at his once. And he basically just left the Dreamcast on. He'd got a, he'd got a brand new 32 inch Sony Bravia TV or whatever it was, you know, old cathode ray tr- ray uh, cathode ray, and he just left his Dreamcast on, running the attract mode for Crazy Taxi um, in the corner, uh, not with not with the sound up because that would have grated after a while, I think. Um, but just that, the the way and it, the way that it sort of flicks between scenes so instantly and swiftly, um, it was it was quite remarkable. Um, the 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 color and the speed and the pace and the dynamism. Um, so it was it was very it was very appealing and beguiling back in uh, late 90s early 2000s um which is something that perhaps you know it struggles to retain now but we'll come on to that yeah. but that was my you know as well as get trying to get good at it which i did you know to a reasonable degree um learning the actual techniques it was it was like that nice uh, combo of a game that was you know was cool to to be in and around even though um uh, sorry, as well as uh, actually uh, playing. Um, yeah. Kenji Kano uh, says, according to... Uh, this was uh, an interview that was in Retro Gamer magazine originally quite some years ago now, about 10 years ago, uh, still to be found on nowgamer.com. He said, The inspiration behind Crazy Taxi came to me when I was stuck in traffic one day. I noticed a quiet lane on the opposite side of the road and thought how cool it would be to drive onto it and fly down the road. I was sure that there were many people sitting in cars who would have agreed with me, muses Kano, the creative director of the franchise. With Kenji's seed of a concept beginning to take shape and a team of 12 people assigned to the project, he began developing his idea under... His AM3 department's new moniker, Hitmaker. He explained that the first hurdle that his team faced was deciding how best to transform his concept into a theme that would lend itself well to an arcade game. While hindsight merrily sings Kenji's praises for his decision to make a taxi-themed arcade racer, it was a direction that was initially met with concern by some members of the team. It was very difficult for us to draw consensus on making a game about uh, out of the taxi theme. Some of the team were worried that the concept wouldn't be cool enough to polarise an arcade game around, he remembers. Uh, thankfully, persistence prevailed and the idea entered production. After 18 months of development, uh, Crazy Taxi was finally completed. So, yeah, that setting and scenario... Um, it's a taxi game. Now, it wasn't even the first taxi game. I remember there was a game on a Commodore 64, I remember, called Space Taxi, uh, which was obviously a very different thing, technically speaking. But the concept of ferrying people around uh, in vehicles was not brand new. But the idea of actually making your your avatar, your player character, a cabbie, um, potentially, you know, could have sounded like the dullest, driest thing. So, um, yeah, like... I guess the way to make the game seem crazy is to call it Crazy Taxi, (laughs) to have a guy with a nasal Beetlejuice voice shouting at you from across the arcade or across your room if you're playing the home version, uh, telling you that everything's crazy and having some really loud uh, pop punk music blaring from the speakers. Um, And yes, it has those Sega blue skies and the sun glaring down and the city is this sort of ridiculous heightened reality. The original arcade city is a sort of, um, I think 
am I right in thinking it's a mishmash of San Francisco and LA uh, in microcosm? Yeah, it looks a little bit more kind yeah. of like Long Beach uh, than LA, but yeah, it's right. kind of the northern and southern California all kind of mushed into one. Sure. So yeah, um, well, I you know just remember seeing the screenshots of that bright yellow taxi and the Sega blue skies, and you know reading about the the carnage that you could cause with absolutely no kind of consequence whatsoever. Um, I guess that's how they made a, a, a taxi game seem appealing. I mean, I guess I just remember thinking, well, this is a top-end new arcade conversion from the masters at Sega. Even if it is just a taxi game, it's probably going to be really, really good fun. So, um, But is this something that appealed to you initially, uh, Dan? Well, as you say, it's not the idea that the kind of idea that strikes you initially as it's going to be the most exciting thing in the world. But um, at the time, I think... Sega were in a sort of um, they were sort of flexing their muscles a bit. Every game seemed to sort of have a concept and played well, and like you say, had the bright colours. And it was a, I think, just anything that they brought out at that point, I would have leapt on, kind of no matter yeah. what, at least to give it a try. So yeah, similar boat to yourself. Yeah, Carl. Uh, obviously, you you were literally attracted by the attract mode by the sound of things. <laughs> yeah, it, it was. I think it was just a the the sort of the. The unapologetic, in-your-face sort of yeah. aggression, the, the you know the the loud music, the screaming announcer, the the bright, incredibly vivid colours, um, and again, it came at a time where Sega, for at least the last five years, had pretty much released a consistent string of really, really good arcade games from the likes of Daytona and Sega Rally, and you start thinking, well, there's two really good racing games let's give it a go with crazy taxi and i think it was just that it, it'd come after i'd played the original grand theft auto where i liked driving around a city and then to suddenly be doing it where i'm going airborne off these massive hills at ridiculous speeds and a consistent frame rate it was that was absolute heaven i was i'm doing this in 3d now and i can go wherever i want and I'd, i the closest game that i'd played to it at that point was gti club in the arcade yeah, where yeah. I loved bombing around in the mini and pulling the handbrake around tight corners, and you're pretending you're in the Italian job, and mm. and then you've got Crazy Taxi just doing everything louder, faster, brighter. With the and I was a sucker for the Offspring at the time. Not gonna lie, um, absolutely early two thousands. Everything was the Offspring. So to have that soundtrack, or at least three songs uh, yeah. by the Offspring. Uh, it, it was just, it was sort of that perfect moment. Um, you know, for me, the, the you know, it was that bottle lightning sort of thing where everything that appealed to me just happened to be in that one product. And uh, it, it yeah. just worked. Ryan, had you been long yearning for the game where you got to live out your life as a, as a cabbie? You know, whereas... Like being a taxi driver in real life, I would imagine being like extremely stressful. And so it's not something that I particularly like want to do in my fantasy time necessarily. This particular yeah. game and like the the pitch for like what this was, was immediately appealing to me because this was, you know, kind of around the same time that we had, uh, you know, the Tony Hawk's Pro Skater game starting to kind of like come into the um, public's eye. And so it was, you know, five years before Katamari Damacy where pretty much like they just give you a wide open space that is kind of constructed to um, 
I don't want to say to be exploited, but just to make just traversal of that space and exploration of that space, like thrilling and exciting and fun and encourage you to find creative ways to just navigate it. And, you know, between all those like very different types of games, like that's kind of the core appeal that I found in each of those for myself anyways. And, you know, Mm. even still to these days, like I love that type of game. Um, You know, the jet set radios and the uh, sunset overdrive. And um, yeah, so I'm, I'm well on board for this kind of thing. One of the things I think brings this game world to life, and it really did to me feel alive, partly uh, to do with the, the well, I'll call them physics, um, but <laughs> we'll come on to that, uh, smashing stuff around and, and, and all that. But it was it was the cast of characters. Now, I'm not going to say that, you know, I think they're amazingly well-drawn or written characters or anything, but they completely fit with the aesthetic yeah. that, you know, that Sega commits to. You've got all these, you know, dozens and dozens of people hailing you around the city um, with either strangled or nasal or high-pitched voices. You know, they're complete, you know, it's complete sort of 90s arcade game absurdity. And then you've got you've got these four characters. Now, I wouldn't say that I love any of these characters. I think, you know, as I was alluding to earlier, I think Gina's my favourite um, because she just doesn't seem like a complete, you know, uh, well... To me, Axel seems like a basically a, a douchebag. Uh, mm-hmm. BD Joe is a is a slightly dubious uh, stereotype. Gus, I think, is probably based on Travis Bickle and is in fact yes. uh, psych- psychologically disturbed. Uh, I used to play as BD Joe back in the day because he was closest to my age at the time, uh, twenty seven. Um, and now I'm three years older than Gus is, uh, so I play as Gus now because I think I'm closer to that sort of Travis Bickle mentality. Plus, uh, I noticed that from all the Superplay videos I've been watching, um, his car is the one to go for because it's the the one that gets knocked about the least and it's the narrowest. So it's it's the um, it's the one to play for like serious scores in. Um, yeah, so I didn't I didn't. It wasn't like I I immediately fell in love with the characters like I did with say Super Monkey Ball where I was immediately like, oh, my God, those are so cute. I love them. Uh, but it was more about this all kind of this whole gelling together of this insane, like, hyper-reality. Yeah. It's just it's an off-kilter sort of reality, isn't it? It's, it's just relatable enough that, that you recognise what everything is, where the place is supposed to be, who these people are based on, but just off enough for it to be fun and for them to go crazy with it. Um, and, and I think that's from the from the characters to the environment. I think that is one of the things that appealed to me. I like the aesthetic of the characters because like it does create a somewhat believable world. And, you know, as I've said in, in past shows, it's only fun to like break the world if you feel like the world is kind of pushing back, like it like it's pushing its level of normality onto you. Like, you know, it's the uh, the Grand Theft Auto versus Saints Row argument. Like Saints Row yeah. feels like it's made to be broken. Grand Theft Auto feels like it's trying to maintain some semblance of order. And so I feel like Crazy Taxi rides that line really well by creating a city that feels functional enough, but at the same time, like BD Joe, BD Joe doesn't look out of place when he's racing alongside Sonic and his friends in uh, Sonic and All Stars Racing Transformed. Like yeah, he right. makes that transition really well. Um, but I love mm. the the city and particularly all of the like the licensed buildings that you'd run into, like they they picked like all of the tackiest like Kentucky Fried Chicken and Pizza Hut, which is perfect. 
for this like extremely mm. tacky California that they were building. And yet these uh, these companies were were probably quite happy to have oh, yeah, their, sure. their licenses licensed back then. Um, <laughs> I and, heard that yes. Sega actually paid to use the licenses, which I always <laughs> assumed it would be the other way wow. around, that, that it would be mm-hmm. advertising. That, um, oh. But yeah. then reason, apparently a reason why it didn't happen in future was because Sega weren't prepared to pay the companies anymore, which I find the most baffling thing <laughs> in the world. <laughs> Yeah, I guess uh, it does sort of make sense, but um, yeah, maybe some some sort of mutually beneficial arrangement um, would have been uh, would have been more logical. Um, are all the companies that were in those uh, in the original release still going? Tower Records still there in America? It's not over here anymore. Yeah. Um, it's not any longer, uh, but I don't know when that went down. No. Yeah. The restaurants uh, are owned by the same company, aren't they? They're PepsiCo restaurants, right? Sure. Or Yum sure. Brands. Yeah, and the um the 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 pizza shacks or whatever they're called now still have the the red ruse. Um, but it has a an effect on the 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 actual soundscape of the game because the characters no longer ask for the place they want to go, or they don't in the the glitchy versions anyway. Um, anyway, that's a whole other thing. So, um, there's a there's a a credited voice cast for the original uh, game and and the DC conversion, but um for the ports to GameCube and I assume PS2 as well, uh, they ended up uh, changing the voice actors to the people from Crazy Taxi 2, is that right? Um, I didn't know it was the people from Crazy Taxi 2, but they definitely changed for the PS2 version as well as GameCube. Yeah, sure. Uh, okay, so I've sort of talked about the visuals but uh, and the impact they had on me, um, how impressive they were at the time. Is it, Does everyone else remember feeling that way? Was it was it the partly the technical tour de force aspect of the game, or is that just something that was you know particular to my experience? I did like the exploration, like I say, of a of a solid three D world that I could navigate, and it's, it's something that I always wanted from say, Trick Style, which is a game that I picked up at launch for the yeah. Dreamcast, and mm. I thought it'd be really cool to navigate this city, and then you realise it's more really kind of on rails and limiting, mm. whereas Crazy Taxi, it's, it's obviously constructed in a way for you to be able to retread old ground, but it's crafted so well that no matter how many times you play it, it becomes a case of perfecting your route around this environment that you you don't really get sick of. Um, And to see it tearing around at those colours, at that frame rate, that is without a doubt the thing that appealed to me the most. I never felt like I was being hamstrung or limited out of of being able to go where I wanted to go. I mean, in some cases, literally, by driving into the ocean. Yeah. It's hard to disentangle um, how I feel about the visuals from the getting a new console and everything looking amazing feeling. Yeah, um, for sure. But then in the in the years since, the Dreamcast version is still the one that, to me, looks the best. So mm-hmm. um, if it's in 480p, you know, th- um, and looking nice, then... Um, I think it was it, a technical tour de force, as you say, but like I say, it's hard for me to tell because the Dreamcast was full of all these games that, for me, were the next step up from oh. my old PlayStation with the jack, like wobbly textures and what have you. So Absolutely. No, the fact it was, it was a solid experience yeah. in itself, it, and as solid as it is, um, it just uh, the, it slows a little on the Dreamcast, but... Yeah. D- does it do that in the arcades? Uh, I don't. Like be- part I don't the- believe so. I think. Oh, okay. I think the arcade board is solid sixty, but I think the yeah. I think the Dreamcast just dips a little bit, and all the ports dip even more than that. <laughs> yeah, it, it was absolutely rock solid in the arcades, and yeah. it, even then, it was noticeable. I mean, this this whole frame rate argument 
um, has always been around. Let's not you know, yeah, pretend for a minute that it has. hasn't, but it is far more focused on now than it was then. Um, and it was noticeable even at that time. And, um, you know, as, as Dan mentioned about, you know, the, the PlayStation games of that era all had the wobbly textures and, and the, mm-hmm. the strange design around them. And we've mentioned it countless times over the years on this podcast that, that early PlayStation games and those 3D worlds have aged really badly and it makes mm-hmm. so many PlayStation games hard to play now. This was sort of the next wave of 3D where everything was starting to get really solid and really controlled. Um, and I think that's why the reason you can go back and play a crazy taxi now and it doesn't feel horrific like a lot of you know so quote-unquote great original playstation 3d games do sure um it, it was sort of that next generation almost i mean literally it was in terms of the dreamcast yeah. but uh in terms of the architecture and the and the creation of these 3d worlds yeah, absolutely. No, it, it genuinely was. Uh, you know, it was. It was an exciting time. It was. It felt like a huge leap. We hadn't had the PS2 yet um, when we when a lot of us were playing this, and uh, and it it really was eye popping uh, what people were doing with uh, with the Dreamcast, Soul Calibur, and uh, Power Stone, and and all those games, uh, Jet Set Radio. Uh, it was an exciting time. Um, obviously, playing it now, as I say, I. Um, I kind of wish I'd kept my Dreamcast version because I agree with Dan. I think it's still the best way to play it um, because of issues with all the ports. um, And the 360 version that I've been back to recently um, does a few uh, things to, you know, smooth the edges off and you can play it in widescreen and and that sort of thing, or you can revert to the four to three aspect ratio. Um, But it's, uh, it's, it's a, it's a fairly, um, perfunctory port and in some ways you know it's actually inferior to the to the dreamcast game um but having said all that visually despite some really unforgivable uh, moments of slowdown and pop in and things like that because they've you know they've paid no attention to it really um the overall look and feel of the game obviously it's nowhere near as impressive as it was in 99 2000 um but it's still it still feels like a fun place to be and it's not like I I didn't find that my experience was overwhelmed by the age of the visuals. Um, I I I mean to be honest, I'm somebody who I I seldom feel that I'm very happy chopping and changing between games from the early '80s and then you know The Witcher Three or whatever, and 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 it doesn't it doesn't concern me unduly. Not you know sometimes. Uh, and as I've said before, I think sometimes it's lovely to play something like even something as relatively recent as 17 years ago, like Crazy Taxi, and then put on, I don't know, like a current gen race, put on Forza Horizon or something and have your have your mind <laughs> reblown how yeah. far, you know, because it is true that with each generation of, of graphics and car games are often used to show off the new gen because they work very well for that because of the non-organic nature. Um, with each new gen, it, the step forward is is a little bit less. But if you want to be reminded of how far things have come in steps over the last 15 years, play something from 15 years ago and then play something from now and uh, and at least spend the next half an hour going, this looks amazing. Yeah, yeah. Uh, um, now, the sound, I think... Uh, it cannot be understated how much of a part the sound plays in people's affection for this game. Whenever Crazy Taxi is mentioned in a magazine, on a social media network, in a pub, people always talk about the music. Um, I, I want to talk about the the actual sound 
design of the city first before we talk about the soundtrack. So trying to keep it separate um, because in some ways for me it is, um, and I'll get on to why. You've got the horns going off in my head now. Yeah, exactly. Well, thanks very much. I, I have this effect on people, but um, <laughs> the 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 uh, yeah the, the 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 beeping the beeping of horns and the yeah the shouts of the people as I mentioned earlier, and the cra- you know the crashing of objects as they fly about and the, the the booming and the banging of the taxi backfiring and its and its suspension slamming into the ground and all that. That for me is a huge part of the crazy taxi experience. And I saw one comment. On a, uh, it was a, it was on a YouTube video thread, I think, discussing the change in music, and you know, somebody didn't know that that had happened, and they were like, "Why is the music on this video not Bad Religion or The Offspring?" Um, and they were explaining the story, and then somebody said, "Actually, I used to play." with the music turned off and it makes it a very different experience because it's suddenly like it is like the sort of psychopath Travis Bickle simulator because you you got this guy you know pelting around driving across all lanes now of course because it is the world of crazy taxi you can't hurt anyone you can't run anyone over they scream they they they, you know they they jump out the way but then they'll still get in your taxi Um, you can smash through cafes and sidewalks and telephone boxes and send everything flying and no one ever really minds you can knock cars and trucks and buses sideways off their axes onto their backs no one ever gets hurt there's virtually no there's zero damage model on anything um and that's probably partly technical but partly i think it's partly deliberate just to the point is you're you, this is like a safe room this is like a, a a soft padded um playroom like a ball pit for you to for, for you to be a a, a naughty child in um and i think for me the sound plays a big part of that it, it's like it sounds more like a fun fair or a fair or a theme park than it does a city i think it would have been nice to have some level of damage modeling i think like just imagining how fun it is to you know zip around in uh, in burnout paradise or burnout revenge even which had uh, kind of like higher degrees of damage uh, that could be afflicted onto your car and just seeing the car like before and after a race like yeah, like we went, we had some uh, serious mileage on this thing. It's kind of fun to just be driving out this absolute junker after a really mm. violent round, and I think like it does impart some level of like progression and some level of, like a narrative has happened. And so yeah, I kind of feel like uh, Crazy Taxi is missing out on that a little bit. Like everything feels a little cardboard and a little I don't know. <laughs> I I would have liked some damage modeling though. I think in regards to the sounds, um, you know, of going around the city, particularly driving stuff like the, you know, when, when you're power sliding because you're doing it a lot, you're drifting a lot in this game, and you, you hear the tires going, and and as Leon mentioned, you you put the back end through a, a series of tables and chairs outside a restaurant, or you know, smash through a phone box, and every every noise is sort of really solid, really loud, and really short, and I think. Uh, it that's just really impactful uh, when you're playing it. Uh, so yeah, the soundtrack is, um, as I say, synonymous really with the game. Yeah. I think for a lot of people and in a lot of ways, and that makes sense when you read this quote from Kenji Kano that was in the aforementioned uh, now gamer retro gamer piece. Uh, he said, I believe that music plays a very important aspect of getting the gameplay style right. The game soundtrack is usually chosen after the design of the game has been confirmed. I went from shop to shop listening to as many 
demos, music demos presumably, as possible. And during the latter stages of the game's development, the team would listen to the songs, these are the final chosen songs, uh, by Bad Religion and the Offspring, while they worked, says Kenji. And uh, I think perhaps the, the place that this is still most apparent is in the current version, which has a different um, a track mode tune or two um, from a different selection, uh, that the... The, the the quick cutting of the start of the attract mode is still completely in time with the ya 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 of the start of all yeah. I want by the offspring, and now I really hate uh, people who follow me will know that I am I am not a fan of willful contrarianism, um, but this is my honest my honest response to the soundtrack then as it is now is that yes it's iconic yes it matches the game perfectly. But I really hated it and I had to turn it off. Um, I was 27 years old. I was a sort of indie kid into um, solemn alt country and, uh, and sort of different sorts of music. So this sort of pop, this plastic pop punk uh, sounded like sort of whining um Whining, whining adolescence to me so I really couldn't stand to have it on for very long so I would play with the in-game soundtrack muted and my own music on but with the sound effects still turned up so I'm sorry everyone uh, blasphemy and sacrilege I know but um, so I, I didn't have this my point is I didn't have the same response when it was announced that this game would be re-released without Bad Religion and the Offspring because I was like yeah well I never listened to them anyway hmm. so but away from my uh, being difficult about it uh, what about the rest of you guys I think you, you know you mentioned uh, whining adolescence and I think that that is probably true whereas it didn't harm it for me. I was, mm, mm, I mm. was 15, 16 years well, old. Yes, exactly. Um, <laughs> it, it, you know, it's, I, I'm pretty much banging that age range um, for, for that aggression. And I mean, I mean, I loved the offspring coming off of this game. I, I, I was aware of them at the time, you know, I was a fan of um, like smash and Ixnay on the Hombre and Americana. And they were the three albums that sort of came before this game and right. um I, th I think most people are probably aware of the offspring by this point due to pretty fly for a white guy which was yeah. pretty big <laughs> um yeah. but it, it just and you know yeah 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 and it's just that is so memorable those lines even to people who aren't fans of the offspring but for me who had really become a big fan listening to the band that i was sort of really falling in love with in this game was yeah. brilliant and it just it it was that music that just made me want to go fast. It just put the foot down and just go for it. Um, and I did feel that way for the three Offspring songs. I wasn't such a fan of Bad Religion. And, you know, you mentioned Green Day um, earlier due to Look of the Driver. I'd be amazed if they didn't try and get a Green Day song in the game. Totally, yeah. Um, it, that seems like that would have been uh, more fitting than Bad Religion. In, uh, but mm. I, I'm assuming probably some licensing reasons. As is usually they were more the expensive, case when it comes I would to music, I would yeah. have thought so. But yeah, for me, the music was a huge part of Crazy Taxi, and when sure. it was gone, it definitely wasn't the same. Sure. For me, when when the Offspring went there, but yeah, I, I think you know what you used as sort of a slight on it um, with adolescence and stuff. I think it's probably one of the reasons that attracted me to it. Um, it's just like I mentioned of its time and and my age at that time. Yeah. Uh, you know totally. that, that music resonated yeah you and lots of others clearly you yes know, I, I 
totally appreciate I'm in the minority there. Dan, how about you? Uh, were you uh, like that? You know, I think you and I have sort of quite similar tastes in in music and stuff. But I don't know. Were you were you offspring friendly back in the day? Well, I was. Uh, I would have been twenty four, twenty five. So I think I was. Yeah, somewhere in between those points. For a video game, it was an okay soundtrack. Um, I, I really like uh, Ten in Twenty Ten and Them and Us. I actually enjoy those songs, and the rest are good for a video game soundtrack. Is how I looked at it at the time. Like Tony Hawk, you know, like with um yeah, sure. It wasn't what I was listening to then. I was probably in a sort of like ambient at home, and then going out to raves and that kind of yeah, party-ish yeah, yeah. kind of techno-y thing. I was like mostly electronic, but. I'd been a punk kid and, and enjoyed it for what it was. And um, like I say, it was a video game compared to a lot of things you got back then. To get um, like six decent licensed songs was was not too bad a thing. They could have they could have done with lots more because we mm. all played it for hours and hours. But um, <laughs> yeah. but I enjoyed it. Um, it lent itself and, to and, the arcade though. And like yeah. you say, and the home player. Yeah. Well, I I never really got the arcade thing. I think um, it the sound was turned down when uh, where i played it in an arcade it was a pub in ipswich and <laughs> as they had like um, a jukebox and a sound system of their own the sound was always down so uh, you missed out on a huge part of the right. experience yeah, yeah pub, pub pub arcade machines often suffered with that yeah but um, post space invaders basically where you know i do remember the sound of being taken to pubs as a little kid which you could you know which people well people still do but back in the 70s it was it was like pretty much normal um but yeah hearing space invaders taking over pubs and i think a lot of people you know the older people didn't like it so i think they started when they they continued to get pub, uh arcade machines in pubs they they you know the, the music got the audio got quieter and quieter it was so the proto goths dancing to it that was the problem yeah <laughs> yeah ryan how about you and these particular bands and and how the music fits in with the world of crazy taxi for you um, you know, they don't really do anything for me in particular, but at the same time, like, I don't mind them. But I think, like, going back to it and listening to that original soundtrack after only playing the updated version for, you know, the past however many years, because that's just the, uh, you know, easiest version for me to play given my current console setup. Uh, I, I, I do like the, at least the energy and enthusiasm of those original songs. <laughs> and if nothing else, like, they're just willing to be, like, yeah loud and kind of you know sing their all into it even if they sound a bit silly which is really what crazy taxi is all about to begin with so it's <laughs> fair point so the the post license music this this came uh in with the psp game which is a, a, a sort of amalgamation of crazy taxis one and two um and is now the soundtrack on the the three versions that are available still to buy now on ps3 360 and um and PC. What about the iOS version? They, I assume they haven't restored the old soundtrack. Yes, they have. Um, they have? Okay. Yeah. So uh, you've got the um, original soundtrack. I think it's every song. I'm not sure it's maybe... Miss yeah, I'm, I'm sure it's the original soundtrack. Okay. Uh, oh, so which right. they've restored. Uh, so yeah, I, got, I got it for free. So hmm. the version that I paid a tenner for on yeah. Xbox Live or, yeah. or yeah, on any of those other... That generation of things then you didn't get it but then sega have paid that licensing fee for the mobile versions which so they could have patched a little it. calling right that is weird and they could have patched it back in then theory if in theory if they have the license although they presume you'd imagine presumably... so i suppose it would just mean rewriting contracts maybe costing getting paying lawyers yeah. just to change it all over might be a yeah so i i gotta be honest i mean i, I know a reasonable amount about music i'm not 
you know, I'm not up to date with what the kids like. Um, but I'd never heard of any of the bands on the post license uh, version. Um, I guess it's not my genre because you know, obviously they've gone for things which are uh, which don't sound a million miles away. Um, but the general response was so negative just to the fact that they weren't all I want and ten in twenty ten them and us etc. Um, that I. Th- think they were kind of doomed um from the start in this day and age i suppose licensing would cost so much more when um like back in the day a the record companies weren't quite so wise as to how much they could charge for licensing and there are so many more consoles sold in that sort of 360 ps3 generation than at least for the dreamcast and probably a claim got away with it through being really big for the for the ports <laughs> they're on yeah but um i can kind of see why they had to go sort of cheap it feels a bit like a sort of sound cloudy band campy soundtrack yeah. rather than a and, and yeah. you know this was sega in 2010 and sega in 2010 is just not was just you know they they make a lot of money out of football manager and total war i think but beyond that you know they they are not the force they were in the same way. So I doubt they'd have been willing to. I mean, given the sort of the sloppy nature of the conversion, I doubt they'd have been willing to splash money. But it may have. You know, it might have paid for itself. Carl Carl could be right. It could. You know, if people had said, "Okay, well, we've lost Offspring, but we've got Green Day, or whoever, another massive band of of a similar ilk," uh, it could have. You know, it could have multiplied the downloads. That said, I noticed on my 360 version that I think I've got twenty one odd friends with this game which seemed quite healthy to me out of my you know 100 friends on on 360 mm. so i think people Especially bought given it. it was never given away no that's know. right and yeah people bought it despite this knowledge uh, or or possibly in some cases in ignorance but i think it was it was widely publicized I wonder if they could have just gotten like a couple of the more standout tracks the one that people remember kind of like uh when the tony hawks mm. pro skater hd came out like they got yeah, like a right. few tracks from Super Tony Hawk One and Two, yeah. just to kind of like satisfy the old school fans. But then they kind of like you know filled out the rest of the soundtrack with new, probably easier to license songs. And so even if they weren't willing just, to put down the money for, I guess eight tracks isn't a lot to begin with. Yeah. But at least getting like yeah. one or two in there would have been nice. Yeah, good, good call. Just pay for the yah 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 yah. That would have been fine. <laughs> <laughs> just love it. So we should get into uh, the gameplay with a bit, uh, talk about it in a bit more depth because there is a bit more depth there. Obviously, fundamentally, uh, you are zooming around this open world city, uh, picking up fares who are highlighted by enormous dollar signs and uh, a polygon uh, wire ring around them to tell you where to stop. Um, and it's about getting them from where they are to the location they tell you they want to be at. That is absolutely the game in a nutshell but uh it's on a timer now the the modes of play in the home version they added a um uh, three five and ten minute game so you just try to get as uh, as as many points as possible within that time um but i i used to play those but i think it takes away some of the some of the tension of the 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 arcade mode which is the uh, as you'd expect every time you pick up a new passenger you get a bit more time in which to deliver them to the place they want to go you pick them up you get a big uh, arrow um which uh, points in the direction you need to go uh, there's indications uh by the the color of the dollar above their heads if it's red uh, it's a short fare if it's green it's a long fare and there's a there's orange and yellow in between i think yeah it's just four shades aren't there it doesn't doesn't span more than that um giving you a rough idea as to how far you're going to take them although there is a mode uh there are a couple of modes where you can get rid of that 
um, if you really know your city well. But by default, that's the way it is. Um, and yeah, so then it's about maximising not only your route uh, to the next stop, but also utilising some of the slightly more expert techniques. Um, and this is, for me, where the game maintained mm. its fun beyond just A to B, just, you know, pull away, accelerate, stop at the next one. In itself, that would have been quite mundane, but this being a, a Sega 90s arcade game, mm. it's got a load more stuff that you can do um, with the... Uh, you've got two gears, reverse and drive, but it's all about uh, sort of slamming between those gears uh, so, for instance, the crazy dash is basically reverse, then forward, then accelerate in in short order, and the that's you know that is probably the most used one in that it becomes when you're in motion it becomes what's called the limiter cut, which is where you can get more out of your taxi than its default top speed by doing another effectively doing another crazy taxi uh, crazy dash move so you do reverse to drive to accelerate all the time you're driving and you'll see that if you watch people playing this game well they are doing that all the time except yeah. when they're doing crazy drifts um and uh crazy back drifts to land accurately in the stopping zone whilst whilst already pointing the correct way to be leaving again so that is really the the skill of the game right there now i tried to get good at this i like i put quite a lot of effort into getting better at the game and it and it paid off from you know i could see obviously back then no online leaderboards that's something that the modern versions have got um but it was about beating your own score unless you're in the arcades when it was about beating all the other people's scores yeah. um but i found it you know i found it compelling to try to continually get to the top of my high score table on this game and having been back to it even though i'm playing a, a flawed 360 conversion uh, I still found myself, um, you know, immediately, not immediately, maybe after a, a little bit of play, kind of relearning those techniques like riding a bike. Um, started off a little bit shaky, like I couldn't quite remember about how to get the, the most speed out of your taxi on the fly and um, the quick stop and stuff where you actually kind of, you you can ram it almost from, you know, 60 to zero in 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 one second yeah. or or uh, techniques like using the uh using trees as your stopping point because no damage no you know you don't get your your fare knocked off um stopping instantly well, the side of anything if you're jumping yeah yeah absolutely um and yeah that's where along with the comboing which we'll talk about in a sec uh that's really like where the depth of the game exists and why i think people are still playing it um playing it now so uh Carl, when you were saying you played this at home and at the arcades, now, yeah. in some ways, maximising your techniques at the arcades was more important because you were on a pound limit, you know, whatever. And yeah. the longer, the the better you played, um, the long, you know, the longer you get out of your quid. Um, but you were saying you, you you played it differently. So how did this manifest at home and in the arcades? Um, it, it's when you're playing it at home, you're allowed that time where you're more willing to let your clock run down if you think that you can find uh, right. a, a slightly better run or you might tweak things a little bit out of, of, of way or you could perfect it at home and then really try and implement it at the arcade uh, for, the, for the leaderboards and whatnot. Mm. Whereas with the arcade, it was basically 100%, 100 miles an hour constantly. Yeah. Um, so once you've sort of got that crazy dash down, 
which is the most important part of this of this game because watching someone who's never played it before in the arcade just you know slowly pull away and build yeah. up speed and then slow down and break and you're like get off amateur and then you go on and you literally you've got the little because you had like a it was actually a lever just an up down lever yeah. and you you are literally slamming it forward slamming, and it, slamming it back and it's the whole thing's just a noise fest as you're ragging away at this arcade machine um and you, it was basically all about being focused on pure uh, points in in, yeah. in the arcade. You you would never be you you just unless you were obviously had had enough wealth. You you didn't really have the time to sort of tweak your method. That that was it. You always just tried to to polish your method, maybe stop a little bit quicker, and then and then move on because your time was always dropping quite short. And, and that was always the case, even on the home versions. But you know, the, the, there were things that you would discover, like the first pickup that you make. Everyone knows you don't pick the one up right in front of you. You reverse. You go and get the one that's behind you because yeah. you get more money, which gets you going further and further. Um, and and that's the kind of thing that I only discovered playing the the home release. Yeah. Um, and and I think we've mentioned it before. The, the the pressure that's on you when you're playing with real money definitely adds a little bit of spice. In, into into how you play and everything has to be that little bit more perfect when you when you nail it in the arcade um and interesting and just... we'll come to it later but um crazy taxi 3 had the arcade version had a uh, a way where there was a version where you could pay to gamble and you'd win money back so adding an extra element to exactly what yeah. you're saying i mean was crazy taxi 3 ever released in the arcade Yes. Um, was on, it? There was a yeah. The, um, was it the Chihiro board? The oh, okay. You know the one that they t- where they turned the Xbox into an arcade machine, and yes. there was a gambleable version right. um, where you could actually win real money from playing Crazy Taxi Three. Wow. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So <laughs> well, it makes sense, doesn't it, with the, with the name High Roller? Yeah. So. With you saying about it, actually, it made you feel like the money you'd put in was relating to the money there. The fact that they turned it into a version with yeah. that, I just thought, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, I, and that was absolutely the feeling. And whilst it was always there with pretty much any arcade game you ever wanted to pay for, there was always, I don't know, it was just something about the immediacy of something like Crazy Taxi where it really, yeah, I mean, you could last, you could put a pound in and last 60 seconds and that's it. Yeah. Until you improved. Yeah. Um, and I, I always felt like there was more on the line playing Crazy Taxi than there was with the likes of a Daytona or a Sega Rally, etc. Um, and, 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 I I loved that. I'm sure a lot of people hated it and much preferred the home release as a result. Um, but yeah, it, it just they both came across as very different uh, beings despite being, you know, the same environment. Um, obviously, yeah, Carl and I uh, spent some time. Dan, did you uh, did you try to get the techniques down and, and maximise your gameplay from this, or was it always yeah, just a, um, a lark? No, uh, I was. It- I'd got used to this feel of gameplay. Is that the word from um, Can be. Tony Hawk's? Right from the Tony Hawk's games. You know where it's clicky. I suppose I don't know how else to describe it other than clicky. I like that. Where you, your brain isn't really there in what you're doing. Your hands are just doing. Mm-hmm. It's like a Zen rhythmic stare. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Where I don't know half of the moves. I don't know how. If you ask me how to do them, I wouldn't know how to do them. But yeah. if I play the game, then they're like, you know, you just connect you're thinking you're not even thinking about what you're doing by a certain point i don't know how else to describe it um and uh, oh you're gonna hate me for saying this leon um but the game before that that 
the first game that I remember being clicky like that was Wiz and Liz. Um, and then the <laughs> next one was Tony Hawk's. And then the next one, because I'd say that game every time for everything. You do, that's but, right. um, uh, but that clicky gameplay, it's because it connects with me in that real sort of Sega-y way, I suppose. A gameplay loop in a kind of, mm. literally in a sort of split-second-y sense. I don't know. But um, yeah, then it went Tony Hawk's. And then this to me when I played it I was like oh I see it's a 3D driving game but with Tony Hawksy clicky combo-y stuff yeah. so I'm um, connected with it quite quickly from being like ridiculously and I think Tony Hawks 2 had just come out like the or not just but maybe a year before would that be right um, no, around about no, around about the same time yeah, so it must be just from Hawks 1 so mm. without the manuals where the mechanics felt very similar mm. to, um, yeah, just a clicking about on a pad. Um, and you can't play... That's what playing Crazy Taxi is to me, you know? Um, that's why I say, when I say about the iOS version, I can play it as a sort of little knockabout run, but it's not the, it can't ever feel the same. Um, although having said that, I've only recently learned how to do some of the moves on the iOS version, but trying to translate that yeah. to a touchscreen still yes. seems a bit, a bit much, I guess. Mm. So Ryan, uh, we had a conversation, I think it was after we finished recording Plants vs. Zombies, where uh, you were talking about us recording this here Crazy Taxi podcast, and you were sort of saying, I think you, you were sort of asking me how, kind of how how the depth of the game manifested or something like that. So I sort of said what I've kind of already said, what we've been talking about here in, in, in not so many words. Um, so was this something that you played in a, in a, in a fairly bog standard style and, and you've now since, since my sage words, you've gone looking for the, for the hidden depths or was it there all along? And <laughs> I mean, I've always been aware of it. Like I've always known kind of about the crazy dashes and everything, especially because the console versions had the, crazy box which pretty much required that you master all of these techniques but i've always enjoyed it more as yeah. just kind of the the drive around and um you know just exploring the city inhabiting that space but um you know before we get into the like real complex stuff i wanted to ask about the <laughs> uh the arrow um that yes. for me i don't remember seeing that before crazy taxi at least in a 3d space like was that this game's addition because it huh. felt like every game that I saw do this afterwards, I always thought like that's the crazy taxi arrow. And so was this the game that introduced <laughs> that, or am I a little um, am I missing I mean, things? I think Top GTI Skater Club... not have an arrow. I think Top Skater had an arrow. Was that free roaming Top Skater? I never played it. I think there was no. I mean, two D games. Roots, couldn't you? Something. You could. You, I mean, seven. Talking about skateboarding games, seven twenty had had an arrow mm -hmm. uh, to tell you where to where to head next, didn't it? But um, huh. Maybe uh, GTI Club in bomb mode. Yeah, I think GTI Club had one okay. there, and then yeah. the in between. What's the um the, the Japanese one where you have to stop bombs going? Yeah, like it's like bomb mode, but turned turned into a game. Right. You know, there's a whole series of them that were on PS One and PS Two. I can't remember mm. the name of them, but um. Certainly, that, was, that yeah. particular arrow <laughs> and the way it's the yeah. way it's depicted. The crazy taxi arrow. Yeah, first appeared the, the crazy, crazy taxi. arrow. Yeah. <laughs> crazy arrow. Crazy arrow. But um, yeah, I think I know. Uh, yeah, it may be. It's probably one of those where if you asked a lot of people, they would say the same, Ryan. That even even if there are some more obscure examples that we could dredge up from our memory banks, um, Crazy Taxi was one of the earlier examples of a three D polygonal arrow that flicked yeah. around and showed you exactly where to go. And um, 
changes the popular, popular well. culture release, isn't it? That, that sort of brought yeah, it to prominence. Yeah, I feel like sure, the, the things sure. that did iterate upon that and did expand upon this concept and kind of refine it a little bit were all referencing back to Crazy Taxi in some way, some of them very directly, like the uh, uh, Simpsons, what was it called? <laughs> Simpsons, hit not run. Hit and Run, is the other one. <laughs> Road Rage yes, is the uh, Road Rage, Simpsons yeah. Road Rage yeah, very no, we'll, explicitly um, going back to... Uh, we're, we're coming on to legacy right, right. Uh, and, and legal cases later. Yeah, but um, yeah, and then the later Tony Hawk games and uh, even some of the... I don't remember if Grand Theft Auto ever incorporated, probably not. Um, but I, I just remember that being like really intelligent. Like It kind of surprised me when I was younger because I was used to having waypoints off in the distance and saying like mm. okay my my uh you know i need to go in that direction but i wasn't as used to it directing me around every corner and like intelligently like pointing in different directions depending on like if there were buildings in the way like i was just you know used to it being a straight line in between the character and where i needed to be rather than this kind of like you know weaving me through the city streets yeah but the thing yeah, is bounce off mountains to get there and okay. <laughs> it it does work uh, much better on the original city, and well, mm. no, not the original. The, the the city that's called <laughs> Arcade City <laughs> that was it's in true. the original game, the original city that's in the home versions of the game, um, which in many ways is a more uh, quote interesting map in that it has a whole train uh, track and an underground mm. section and all this uh, cool stuff. But the arrow does not cope well with the road layout um, and neither do the graphics, actually. It, it's got a lot more, uh, and it even did on the DC. It has more more pop in, more slowdown. And combined with that radar confusion, I always wanted to like the, uh, the extra city more than I did because it had all these cool extra locations in it. Um, but I was playing it again today and, and still finding that I still get completely confused around certain sections because the arrow is telling me to go through uh, walls of houses which you can't do um, it's kind of a shame but uh, the other facet to score chasing uh, which is absolutely key is about um, it's something we saw really uh, come to sort of mainstream popularity a bit more although this game ended up selling a lot of copies across the multiple formats um, in burnout is what in this game is called the crazy through um, but also there's Crazy Jump and Crazy Drift, which is the uh, every time you do something like that, something that your passenger likes, and pretty much your passenger likes anything which is a close shave or something loony that doesn't... Or major whiplash. Yeah, that does, as long as it doesn't cause them to actually, um, you know, potentially get hurt or kill anyone else, they're, they're pretty keen on it. Um, and your the, 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 the amount of dollars, points, that you're going to get for your fare... Uh, increases and this as you combo these crazy throughs and drifts and so on they exponentially rise and this is you know where the real skill of the game comes in what i find interesting is uh even having now watched um some uh excellent gameplay on this i watched a an unofficial world record run on the gamecube from um quite some years ago now actually as i'm sure it's been you know smashed but this was prominent on youtube it's a 15 part video it's just cut up into 10 minutes like some, sometimes they, they used to be so it's like two and a half hours and uh this person picks up 229 passengers and gets 115,000. Two hundred sixty-seven dollars and eighty-nine cents. Now, my normal play—that's uh, a hell of an hourly rate, isn't it? Yeah. Well, <laughs> yes. Millionaire, millionaire passengers are, are the key. Um, 
but yeah, I, I think my average passenger pickup in the last couple of weeks as I've slowly started to regain vague semi competence at it has been like so to get an S class license has been like 30. So to get 229 passengers and to keep, you know, just to keep going, um, it's a good way of watching uh, the depths that are in this game. But actually, what what you find is that I always thought that I, I must be playing badly because I don't use the crazy drift that much. And it always seemed really difficult to, to crazy drift around corners in this game. But actually, even on this super play video, um, the techniques used, are, there's a lot of just kind of smashing through stuff. There's the, it's not like the sort of the same level of impeccable, like pristine players you might expect to see in some score attacks or super play videos. Yeah, there's yeah. no subtlety to it. Exactly what I'm trying <laughs> to say. Yeah, it's not, it's even played at its best. It is still a deeply unsubtle and... Um, Health and leather experience. Yeah, yeah, there's, it's white Go knuckle. It. There's no there's there's no room for subtlety. Although, having said that, you know, I I still find going down the, you know, the initial hills, the San Francisco type bits where you fly through the air and you're racking up bonus points and then or go up the motorway section between all those trucks if you just scrape through them then the combo meter is going up and the that pleasing endorphin triggering noise is is kicking up and it's saying like you know it says 25 cents and then 75 cents and then three dollars and then six dollars and then nine dollars it's still hugely compelling um I, i really really enjoy that still I mean, there are a couple of tricks, aren't there? I always remember the one where you could, um, if you power slide and slam into a wall, you can go up on two wheels. Oh, yeah. Do that uh, all the time by mistake. The wall, yeah. And then it's just like the coins are just flying at you because it's classing you as being on two wheels when in reality you're oh, just right. up against a wall. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so uh, I suppose um, by contemporary standards, uh, what was included on the disc, although it uh, added to what was in the arcade machine um, was still, you, know, you could say it was fairly slight. Obviously, the amount of cities was doubled, um, but still fundamentally were playing the, the same bit of game. Um, the suppose the more significant addition was, um, other than a couple of unlockables, there's a there's a rickshaw-style crazy bike, which I remember having <laughs> a go on. Um, there's, yeah, ego, exactly. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> yes. yeah. Is it just, just for a laugh. Uh, there's a, another day mode which remixes um, positions of passengers and that sort of thing. Um, and uh, there are ways of making the game harder for yourself by turning the arrows off, as I mentioned earlier, or uh, showing you where the destinations are. Uh, normally a big glowing green grid to show you where you need to end up um but get rid of that and uh yeah you need to actually be looking at the city um but maybe it's amazingly fun like a lot of people say about playing gta 5 with the sat nav off is 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 a far yeah. more immersive experience um but this is a high score chasing game rather than an experience of, of uh, you know a city simulator or whatever so i don't know um there's even a way of activating a speedometer so you can see just how fast you're uh, you're running into pregnant women um and uh, lazy vicars uh, who could just, you know, they could just walk to their church from there, really, <laughs> couldn't they? Uh, so, yeah, the crazy box is uh, the the thing. Now, I found an interesting video. We just had uh, Summer Games done quick 2016, but something from Autumn Games done quick 2015. I don't know if they've awesome. since... Yeah, I don't know if they've since revisited this um, thing, but they did a crazy box speedrun race. So two two people simultaneously on Twitch um, for charity, of course, because uh, the, the Games Done Quick thing raises amazing money for charity. Um, two people doing crazy box. Uh, so it starts off with a, as a grid of three by three, ultimately opening up into a grid of four by four. 
I think. Um, uh, events. So you've got cra you know, crazy parking, crazy flag, crazy party, um, and essentially they're mini games. And we saw a lot more of this with um, the Virtua Tennis games as they went on these kind of wacky, out of the main game experiences. Um, and you know, I think overall they're a mixed bag, but um, they become uh, like on the on the on the 360 PS3 versions, they've got their own high score tables, so you can. Um, you can, you know, compare your crazy jump scores against other other people online and things like that. Um, but this became quite an obsession um, getting through this. And as I say, my skills have since deserted me and I haven't had time to get them all back. The crazy drift in particular seems agonisingly difficult to activate on, on the 360 version, but maybe it's just me. Um, but this was, I spent a lot of time playing this uh, and especially got, as I always do when there's a 10-pin bowling mode, uh, I always get horribly hooked on that, but I don't think I ever quite managed to get maximum strikes on that. But uh, did everyone else uh, invest a decent amount of time into Crazy Box? It was, it was, that was the method that I would sort of really polish the skills. Yeah, definitely. Because you had to be really spot on when you were playing Crazy Box because it, it, a lot of them were incredibly difficult. Yes. You know, there weren't sort of the walks in the park that you would expect from an arcade game and for the addition that was brought into the, the Dreamcast release. And um, I always found that my the, the drifting and the parking, uh, particularly with, you know, the crazy stopping and stuff, improved exponentially as a result of playing the crazy box and and then i would sort of take that back into the world and, and improve that way I, I found it absolutely uh fascinating and it's not those little game modes are things that i don't normally sort of resonate with i don't normally enjoy them in these kinds of games uh i'm so focused on what the you know the main product mm -hmm. is um but i just it, it it felt like it worked really well in this game uh it, it was yeah, it was it was a really nice side, um, which allowed would a really good tutorial almost to just improve how you could play the the, the majority you know story mode. I, I guess it's a story mode. Yeah, that's um, that's the thing they needed to add something to it to yes. to not just be the arcade experience. I guess um, like single player games had been working towards that point for since the Mega Drive and SNES era. I guess mm. um, so. Yeah, they needed to do something and. And it works like it, like Carl says. It trains you on how to maximize efficiency in the actual game as well. So it's it's a kind of a, a tutorial and a story mode and a, and everything. It's what you played when it, you weren't playing the main game. It was the, yeah. your your kind of day off from the crazy taxi. Mode, you know? <laughs> so yeah, um, yeah, and I really enjoyed that. Yeah. I'm trying to get through it at the moment on iOS, and um, mm. it's more difficult than I anticipated using a touchscreen yeah um, right but you can you can do all the moves but being able to do them with enough precision is quite difficult but i've i've done all right yeah. i've um i've un just unlocked the uh the next set you know when you get through the the three yes. by yeah. yeah um uh the so i've just done that so it's doable but um it's interesting to go back to it from a um sort of standing start again from rather than if i played it on 360 i'm going from what i know and this is um yeah, going back to trying to perfect that again, which I suppose is, in a funny way, an emulation of how I would have yeah. played it back then. Yeah, so, totally yeah. get you. Yeah, rather than a rolling start, but then that yeah. would be a different Sega <laughs> driving game. Yeah, uh, Ryan, Crazy Box Man. I spent a little bit of time with it, but I mostly kind of, um, I didn't invest a ton into it because it kind of stripped out everything from the experience that I liked. 
um, I, I was always just more in, in interested in the world rather than the uh, intricacies of driving the car quickly. Okay. Uh, now we're going to have to belt through this, but I think it's always interesting to touch on the history, the legacy, uh, and we're not doing a series of podcasts on Crazy Taxi, so we're going to try to rattle through uh, the sequels uh, as well. So yeah, predecessors. Uh, now you can you can trace open world driving games all the way back to the eight bit era with things like Turbo Esprit and New York City, um, but uh, I think we're mainly going to look at sort of three D stuff. So there's one here that I don't know back from 1994 called Quarantine. Yeah, so it's um, a, a PC game from the era of uh, sort of Doom, and there, there was Quarantine Two as well a year later. Right. It was much like Doom Two, where it was a uh, um, more an expansion pack than a than a sequel maybe yeah um but it's interesting that it re- was released on ps uh yeah ps1 and mm-hmm. saturn in japan yeah so it maybe had like it was at least known sure in japan and it was known as hard rock cab <laughs> in japan and right. you were picking up passengers in a very similar way that there was an arrow over the head of the people that were passengers in the city right. um and so it's it's not entirely dissimilar. It's it's listed as a first person shooter. It's really not. It's, huh. uh, you are a cabbie going around, huh. uh, picking up passengers or sometimes documents or something. Because it's more of a uh, there's more of a single player mode, a bit like a, a GTA type experience, I suppose. But um, yeah, it's just interesting that it was released on consoles in Japan, but not here. Which means that I guess the PC shareware version must have done well there, and uh, the that's how things kind of right. proliferated then. I only ever had the shareware version. Uh, and you could send off your money to get the the full game. But it, maybe it got a retail release, I don't know. But that's you had to go through, you jump through some hoops at least to try and get the full thing. But uh, so, Which makes it interesting that it got released, <laughs> like I say, on consoles in Japan. That's interesting. Yeah, there was a yeah. 3DO version too. Um, yeah, yes. w- uh, yeah, the, the, the cover appears to uh, show a windscreen wiper uh, wiping off blood so um more like another <laughs> game i'm about to mention that was the mid name yeah it's like yeah, yeah it's, it's basically carmageddon meets um crazy taxi before carmageddon yeah mm. um yeah and the uh, amusingly the saturn version was also renamed with a different title death throttle uh yeah so there you go uh so yes gti club was the first one i thought of um definitely yeah. has a similar vibe and element slightly more serious than um crazy taxi but uh that was konami um carmageddon of course in 1997 and beyond um crazy taxi as we mentioned was part of their real life career series sega that is um along with uh jambo safari 18 wheeler as mentioned uh, and airline pilot, but uh, the one I really wanted to mention, and the one I always think of, uh, a game I never saw. I'm not sure it even came out outside of Japan. It may have done uh, a game called Emergency Call Ambulance, uh, which is essentially the same theory as uh, Crazy Taxi, but instead of the fun of driving people to KFC and a popcorn shop and yeah. Gap, uh, or occasionally, admittedly, a pregnant woman to the hospital, which worries me slightly, um, this is one where you have to drive passengers to uh, for medical assistance um, before they cark it, I think. So yeah. yeah, there's a there's a bar. I've definitely played this. Have you? It's I I believe the reception was generally quite negative because rather than the sheer knockabout fun of driving a taxi around and people going well hey and wanting you to, this was like if I drive badly these people die <laughs> kind of takes a bit of yeah, the... Yeah, uh... you had a bar actively going down. Right. 
to their death. Yeah. <laughs> so you had to get to the destination before they died. Yeah. Um, and it was it was incredibly morbid and a little bit dry. It wasn't. I mean, it, it was cool from a perspective like GTI Club was in driving around a city. Sure, sure. But it wasn't fun in the way that Crazy Taxi is. I read uh, um, notoriously difficult as well. So just to make it, yeah. just to add to the to to the pressure. But yeah, I'm I'm sure you can um, play it on uh, arcade emulators anyway. How can we make Crazy Taxi more stressful? I know. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, then there's Thrill Drive, which was the uh, Konami's arcade game, which begat yeah. Burnout and that series. A definite relationship there. Um, and this was really was the era here, 1999. We also had Driver, of course, uh, and Midtown Madness, um, which was the first, I think, the first solid polygonal arc, um, driving game that I yeah. was aware of, uh, Midtown Madness on PC. I remember a friend of mine showing it. Me and me. It was such a huge deal as well. It was, a, it, was, it was big, wasn't it? And yeah, ended up getting uh, a couple of sequels. Three releases. Didn't yeah, it? yeah. yeah. Um, obviously, we were we were just about heading towards um, Metropolis Street Racer as well. Uh, but that... there'd been Interstate seventy six as well. Yeah, of course. Um, not uh, quite cities, but at least towns. Yeah, road combat. Uh, then there was the aforementioned Simpsons Road Rage in two thousand and one. Um, so this was after the ports, I think, had come uh, of Crazy Taxi had come to PS2 and GameCube and made quite a lot of money. So uh, in 2003, Sega filed a lawsuit against Fox Interactive, EA and Radical Entertainment, claiming that Simpsons Road Rage was a patent infringement of Crazy Taxi. Uh, and uh, the case Sega of America Inc. versus Fox Interactive et al. was settled in private for an undisclosed amount. I uh, don't know how much Sega got out of that. Do you know how much the um, PS2 and GameCube versions sold in comparison to the Dreamcast? Quite a lot more, I believe. I Yeah, I'd well imagine it would be. PS2 um, so sold over a million copies, and I don't think the Dreamcast did, so, yeah. I can see why you'd want to go after something that had, yeah, by exactly. that point, been on... And also, with Crazy Taxi, like, it was on all of the platforms yeah. in one form or another, Um if there's going to be a lawyer that's going to want to go for that, isn't there? So. Yeah, totally. Uh, so, yes, in brief, please, Crazy Taxi 2. I never got this. Um, I don't know why. I think I heard it didn't add a lot. Is that what, is that what people are saying? Two added the jump, right? Yes. I'm right in thinking that. So verticality. Well, other than the jump that you could do if you sort of knock yourself off of things and bounce yeah. around. like a, yeah. yeah. Now, I've played Crazy Taxi 2, and this is going to sound utterly ridiculous, and I understand that. But as I played it, and they added the jump, I went, "Now that that that's stupid. That's going <laughs> too far." <laughs> and I, they ruined and it. I didn't want to play it anymore. As I genuinely thought the jump ruined, ruined it. it. Right. Well, yeah, history doesn't seem to remember it uh, that fondly. Um, although I think it reviewed it reviewed uh, reasonably well at the time. Um, yeah, it's the second highest reviewed game on Game Rankings in the entire franchise with eighty three. Point one two percent, but uh, that was a that was a drop off. Uh, another game that's uh, certainly got a bit of Crazy Taxi legacy in, in in it is Grand Theft Auto, and that started in GTA oh, yeah. Three with the taxi mode um, and an ambulance mode and an ambulance mode indeed. <laughs> yeah. Uh, then we got in two thousand two, and we now know thanks to Dan that also came to the arcades, but Xbox uh, Crazy Taxi 3 High Roller, which um, featured some of the locations from the earlier games and some new locations, mm -hmm. I think sort of Vegas yeah. style, as you'd imagine. Yeah, it's got um, a, the, <laughs> not original again, but <laughs> the arcade city from the first one, the yep. small apple, and then 
uh, its own city. Right. So uh, Crazy Taxi 3 High Roller uh, was reviewed by over 50 outlets, um, according to Game Rankings, and just about scraped 70%. Uh, did anyone actually play it then? Yeah, I like this one. Yeah. Yeah. It, it did feel like a bit of a greatest hits collection. And so it's kind of like if you're only going to have access to one crazy taxi game, then like this is probably a decent one to do it with because you get all three cities, you know, to some extent. And, you know, you have that variety. You have the new city. The graphics are a little bit more polished up. The uh, UI elements look a little bit better, in my opinion. And I actually, I did like a lot of the crazy box stuff in this release. I remember it being a little bit more kind of like, I'm going to say a little bit more fun rather than like educational as the original crazy bucks I would classify. Like it's not meant to like teach you the skills as much as it was to just like pit you against wacky mini games. Like I remember it being a little bit more like the uh, uh, mini games in super monkey ball rather than, you know, the real kind of like time trials and uh, yeah, and sure. stuff. I'm not sure why I never got this. It, it, I'm, I'm sure it appealed. Maybe I had the same issues as Carl, but yeah, just never. I just stuck to my original Dreamcast Crazy Taxi, which I had until uh, they re-released, re-released it for download. Um, then was uh, Catch a Ride, Crazy Taxi Catch a Ride on the Game Boy Advance. Inevitably, at this point, um, this is one of... This I've is, played it loads. Really? Well, this, not loads, not loads, but... Um, a fair amount. <laughs> this is the this is the worst it's horrible. reviewed Look it yes, <laughs> of all the crazy taxis. Forty seven percent grab by graphic state released by THQ. Uh, it was portable crazy taxi. Okay. Um, yeah, but so very that's slow. Kind of what sold me on it is um, yeah, it's, it's dreadful. <laughs> it's like all of those anything that's polygonal on the Game Boy Advance yeah. is kind of I don't even know what it's not like. It's probably not above ten frames per second most of the time. I don't even know how to describe it but it was crazy taxi and then i used to play it on this is gonna i'm gonna sound mad i used to play it on the pc on a game boy advance emulator at the same time that i was playing it on because i like my pc couldn't play the games of the time so Ah, i played yeah so i played game boy advance games and Play. I played it on like a, a proper full screen monitor. Um, it looked. It must have looked awful. But um. But again, it was it was Crazy Taxi, so I kind of enjoyed it for what it. You was. persevered. Yeah. Presumably, you picked up Fair Wars on the PSP then. Um. Not until much much later. I suppose I was kind of maybe done with it by that point. If I'd taken it, that it could far. have been. This could have been know. an improvement. I suspect on yeah, the on the um, GBA version. But not by much though. The um, again, the frame rate's not quite what it should be. It's, no, uh, it's, and it's a shame halved, right? because by this point we'd had the amazing uh, version of Sumo's Outrun two thousand six. Um, yes, it, it should have been able to do it. it. I can't see why the PSP couldn't have done a, a decent mm. sixty frames per second version. But they, yeah, they literally halved it by like. There's no way to improve on that, right? right. Um, and, I uh, see. I, I wish it was available for the Vita. Not that they'd unlock it further than um, like thirty. Like, there's no way to do that with PSP games. But I just, it would have been nice to play the the other city that I haven't played in many years, just to test it out for this yeah. uh, podcast. So um, there are things that it has that it's worth looking out for. I guess is one of those as a curio more than anything. And it though. featured some sort of multiplayer, which will of course no longer be. 
available in any realistic. Does anyone fashion. know what that multiplayer was? Nope. Like, how would that have worked? I don't. I don't even know how it really worked. I've tried looking into it, and it's very difficult to yeah. ascertain what yeah. it actually what you, what people mean by multiplayer in Crazy Taxi. So. Totally. Yeah. Not a clue. Um, it was known as uh, that pack was known as Double Punch in Japan. Just so you know. Um, so yeah, just want to talk. Um, we are running short on time, but given that these are the versions that are easily available now, um, the PS3, 360 and Windows PC versions, outside of the iOS version, Android version, which I think we've recommended adequately enough, or Dan has. Um, so uh, the the issues really are um, that it's a sloppy, lazy port of the old PC version by Strangelight, um, and it's it's far from, you know incompetent or unplayable it's just very very rough around the edges in my experience my opinion um as i say it adds a 16.9 visual option which you can revert um i'd say the graphics are slightly i think they've been sort of slightly anti-aliased or something it, it looks slightly smoother but not it doesn't look too blurry except on certain um, status screens which don't appear to have been um touched already the multiplayer's uh, gone again that was in the PSP version um, and it has slowed down and pop up and uh, and the main issues really are the sound and not just the licensed soundtrack issue but also the fact that the sound uh, like the sound levels are all over the place um, so you can't hear the speech when in the attract mode if you've got the music on and things like that you can't hear the people a lot of the time the the sound of the taxi hitting things is like 10 times louder than other sounds <laughs> it's sort of classic um you know sloppy port stuff um there's uh, a review on the steam version which is fundamentally the same code uh, this is rated as the most helpful review on, on Steam by users by somebody called Baha. Um, and this was based on the, the first release in March 2011, um, which said, although it had increased draw distance and um, no HD, it did have improved filtering um, and didn't have the slowdown uh, of the console versions. It had no support for analog controllers and bad digital steering um the config menu is busted uh you have to you well you did have to make registry modifications to get the controller and resolution settings to work um doesn't work in full screen um highest resolution available was 720p those audio mixing problems uh the voice actors and the the licensed music had changed obviously uh audio clips very low quality um so there was a mod uh, uh, which is you know, one of the advantages that you can mod in the the uh, the classic soundtrack, not legally, presumably. Um, there was an update, though. They did update the game at some point because in 2014 there was a, an a, a FX anti-aliasing option added, which was something, um, and they fixed the options issues and uh, upped the resolution available. You can even play it in 1200, um, and the sound clip audio was normalised. However, it's around the time that yeah. the um, that it was updated for iPhone five, right? Okay. So I think it might be something to do with the the updates uh, crossing over. That right. maybe yeah. they'd done one on one and then could sort of leapfrog the PC version by miles because PCs being way more powerful could sure suddenly run this yeah. newer uh, remastered version. But it's, yeah, the timing works out that the updates are around the same time. 
so this is yeah this is probably now you know the best um you know big screen version to play but it still has issues with non-analog control it's very twitchy digital style control and so you can never really play it to the same level as you would have been able to play the say the dreamcast version so it's a shame i think it's a real shame like i, I like the sound of the ios version android version that you've been talking about but ultimately it means that currently unless you have a dreamcast and an old copy of the game there isn't a way of playing it you know kind of so that it's you know spot on and or even better you know i i'd love to love them to revisit uh remaking it for current gen you know ps4 and xbox one and and another pc release and have a proper you know properly tarted up uh get the impression though that they try and add too much or change certain things to be still not get the soundtrack Well, well yeah. maybe so, yeah. But uh, it's one of those things, you know, when we're, we're getting on towards it being nearly 20 years old, mm. uh, I'm sure they would make some concessions to try and modernise it a little and then, you know, is it still strictly the same game at that point? And they're the things you've got to worry about. Uh, yeah. Anyway, uh, a few other nuggets. Uh, there was uh, mooted to be a movie during the height of the game's popularity, uh, which would have been uh, directed by Richard Donner of Lethal Weapon, Goonies, uh, Scrooged and Superman 2 fame. Um, but that was abandoned fairly quickly, as is often the case with these. Uh, anyway, I don't think we, uh, history has lost a, a classic, probably. Um, <laughs> there's an unofficial GPS voice pack you can download, of course. Uh, check that out. Uh, and we mentioned uh, Sonic and the All-Stars, but there's also a, uh, a board-type in the Sonic Riders series based on BD Joe's Chevy Impala. Sonic Riders fans. Oh, and uh, the, yes, so Android iOS City Rush is different to the game that Dan's been talking about. Yeah, they're entirely different games. Uh, Ryan, you've played this. Yeah, well. you know, I just downloaded the, the, this this morning, and so I don't have an extensive history with it, but just to kind of give myself a little bit of a of context for what this is, it, it's kind of like a like a temple run. Is that what it's called? Um, yeah, it's very endless much runner. That. Yeah, 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 it's like an endless yeah. runner. You um, are kind of like weaving in between lanes, kind of like those uh, those extra levels in the Legend of Korra game, actually. Um, but you're picking up money. Um, it's not very good, though, is it? Like it's no, but it, it does have lefts and rights, but only uh-huh, when it tells you right. you can do them. Exactly, right, exactly and so like it, it's run. not like a like an open world in any way. And if anything, like I, I'm not against the idea of an endless runner crazy taxi type game like i think that there's maybe some potential there but i i just think the execution on this one like they weren't able to maintain the same kind of like speed immediacy and energy because they um they play lengthy cutscenes every time you pick up a passenger and drop somebody off which absolutely kills the pacing of the game mm. you get knocked out to the menu every time that you're in between fares and stuff and so it's just really uh Really unpleasant, from what I could tell. It's one of those get three stars type, the usual mobile yeah. experience, yeah. you know. Like What I would say is, though, looking on the App Store right now, uh, not the Android, just because I've got my iPhone here, but um, both Crazy Taxi and Crazy Taxi City Rush have a four and a half star yeah, rating from iTunes reviewers. So. Yeah. Now, from the community, this is just all, we're back to the original Crazy Taxi um, people have posted as they love to at canarince.com slash forum. Occasionally we get emails to a podcast at canarince.com. Keep them coming for our upcoming shows. But now here we have Alex Dola on Crazy Taxi who says, 
I've owned Crazy Taxi on a few systems over the years, starting with the Dreamcast version back in the day, the PS2 version, and even the iPhone version. I always found it to be fun enough, if somewhat shallow experience. I know there are people who hold it in awfully high regard, but I never really managed to get that into it. I know it was a pure arcade game, but the handling of the cars just felt dreadful to me, and the changing gear and accelerating to move rather than just having a forward and reverse button always threw me every time I played it. Nope, I'm not a massive fan of this game, but it's fun enough to warrant a quick go every now and then. Quite why I bought it so many times, I'm not sure. <laughs> Thanks, Alex. And next up we have Andrew Brown, who says, I've played Crazy Taxi on Dreamcast and I own it on GameCube, but it is the arcade cabinet which I've fallen in love with. Playing it with a controller is fine and getting as many replays as I want is grand on a console or handheld, but the faux automobile cabinet adds a new level of fun. Whether it's in a trendy barcade or a dingy family restaurant, that voice calling out, hey, 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 are you ready to make some crazy money, is like a siren song. I find the nearest change machine, shove a grubby dollar into it, and soon I'm adjusting an uncomfortable seat, dropping my quarters into the machine and getting ready for five minutes of arcade bliss. The one or two games my dollar buys me is usually enough to sate me until our next encounter, like clandestine lovers desperate to break their relationship, but repeatedly foiled by serendipity. It's easy to understand why I'm attracted to Crazy Taxi. When it was released, Little Kid Me loved the frenetic gameplay and high concept. No matter which driver you choose, your taxi cab is a wreck wrecking ball, flying over land, under sea, yes, we didn't mention that, uh, and through traffic unperturbed by limitations like physical or civil laws. Today, pretentious man me loves the risk-reward system that encourages recklessly competent driving and a dense network of fares which must be pieced together like a jigsaw puzzle while you strive for that seemingly unattainable crazy taxi-level licence. There it is. It's classic quarter-munching design, simple to understand and play, difficult to penetrate and master. One of my favourite moments in Crazy Taxi is getting a fare who wants to go downtown and driving on the wrong way of the freeway the whole trip. It's an exhilarating driving experience that is enhanced by the ever-rising crazy-through combos, satisfying both little kid me and pretentious man me in an all-too-short drive. It's when you bring Crazy Taxi home that you start to see its limitations, or at least its GameCube version, which could be a bad porting job for all I know. While it's probably the best way to unearth and master its systems, you also recognised how small the city is, how grating the limited soundtrack is, how you always start in the same space and always play the same configuration of fares. Removed from the environment at the arcade, given licence to play the game as much as you want, its appeal seems to strip away. Maybe it's because the attract mode isn't imploring me to make some crazy money, but when I look at the crazy taxi disc on my shelf, I feel no great urge to play it. Driving out of the arcade and into our homes may have been the largest mistake Crazy Taxi ever made. When you see the bright yellow checkered cabinet with the hard plastic chair, sit down and have a go. It's one of the best experiences you'll have in an arcade. The console version, for whatever reason, just doesn't capture the same spirit of joy. So says Andrew Brown. Others may not concur. Derek Ritchie, a veteran contributor, says reverse drive accelerate, reverse drive accelerate. While reductionist to some Sum up Crazy Taxi in three words, that's kind of what it boiled down to. The super burst of speed provided by those three actions being the key to mastering getting people around the city in the quickest time for the biggest fares. And once that was mastered, then came the strategy, the measuring up of customers in green to red circles and your ability to get to where they wanted to go. Short on time and need a quick buck that may pull some back. Go green and hope you nail it. Have a little... Time to spare and want the big bucks go red and keep the fingers crossed that that navigational arrow and your judgment keep you right. 
And so the, the game becomes a series of boosts, one followed after the other as you weave through traffic and explore any possibility for a shortcut in order to make the time up as it ticks away in front of you. With the original music blaring over the top, everything felt hyper-real, bright colours whizzing past you as your brain kept thinking the same three words, reverse, drive, accelerate. And it was glorious, chasing your highest fare and tensing up as you got ever closer to it. Looking back, it was surprising that this single mode was quite so compulsive, but it rarely ceased to be entertaining. And the Crazy Box games added to bolster the home release, including my personal favourite, the Crazy Jump, added a nice distraction onto the package. It always encouraged that just one more shot adage, and while something that would struggle to stand up individually now for my Dreamcast at the time, it was a revelation. Especially as this was the time when the idea of arcade games on console was still an unexpected bonus. Time may not have been great to it, and I have no desire to play it now, but for those few months that I sunk into it, the memories bring a smile to my face. Next up we have Celador. I played this game a lot after its Dreamcast release, taking turns with my brother. I won't comment on the gameplay proper as I believe we completely ignored it. Instead I'll talk about why we spent so much time with it. Crazy Taxi made an excellent sandbox. Not worrying about the scoring mechanics or the driving mechanics, you could simply drive around the city and soak up the experience. I remember falling in love with the relationship the game set up between you and the people of the city. You'd run them down, sideswipe them, jump over them, honk at them, and just generally act crazy and unsafe around them, and they'd flee in horror. But at the same time, when it came round to getting a ride somewhere, they'd hop in your car and show nothing but gratitude, and occasionally fear. You were both their saviour and their tormentor, and they didn't show any awareness of that dissonance, and it was there for you to enjoy. To amplify this, your character was always some green-haired, tattooed maniac, perfect for the role of both lover and destroyer. And the environment was Southern California, a place we often think of as both full of love and chaos. At the same time, I remember the city had many different areas, from suburban sprawls to beaches to cityscapes. I remember never knowing exactly where I was going to end up next, and wanting to know. It was a fun place to explore in the midst of a fun premise. We didn't really use this game the way it was meant to be used, I don't think, but the fact that it let us do so is a mark of what's special about it. And finally, concluding, we have Matenzvai. I remember playing Crazy Taxi on a Dreamcast in a shopping mall back in 2000. I didn't own a Dreamcast at the time and the only racing game I was playing at the time was Formula 197 on the PlayStation. When I saw Crazy Taxi's smooth graphics and the really unique gameplay I was jealous of every Dreamcast owner. When Crazy Taxi finally came to the PlayStation 2 I was already driving Taxi in GTA 3 which for the 14 year old me was the same experience somehow. In the year of 2016, I finally got my own Dreamcast with Crazy Taxi and I'm still blown away by it and know the difference between GTA's taxi driving and Crazy Taxi. The game runs smooth, it has slick controls and the graphics haven't aged too badly, I think. I like how overwhelmed I get when I play it because it's always a little too fast and even today the game's concept works perfectly for me, rushing through the streets, earning tips for risky overtakings, listening to the offspring and making it to the destination just in time. Basically, the game is everything that I loved about Sega. Thanks, everybody. Some fond recollections. All right, three word reviews. Follow us on Twitter, do, at Kane and Rince. Don't forget. And, uh, yeah, Dan, start, please. Uh, so, Alex79UK says, too much crashing. Eric Jones, Altec GTA. Peter Wass, or Vass, product placement saturation. Ronald DeRosa, fun but repetitive. What the Duck 3000 says, probably not legal. Zamoniak, 
reverse, accelerate, repeat. Louis Proctor says 10 in 2010, which is true of the Dreamcast version. Steve Robinson, Pop Punk Chaos. And as a little bonus here, we have uh, Derek Ritchie's reverse drive accelerate. So summaries brief, please. Um, I think it's probably important to acknowledge which, if any, version uh, you would recommend people play now, as well as summing up your memories. Let's start with Carl. As you, people have probably guessed listening through the podcast, I was quite happy with Crazy Taxi. Um, in the great legacy of Sega arcade games, I think Crazy Taxi quite comfortably sits amongst the best ones that they created. The likes of Daytona USA and Outrun, um, Crazy Taxi definitely lives amongst those uh, racing games. And I think the problem it stems from is that as opposed to those, certainly as opposed to something like Outrun, it's far more of its time. It was... It was a late 90s game. It featured late 90s art style, late 90s music, and to some degree, late 90s gameplay. And it, it it's quite limited in what it offers the users now. And whilst I love, or certainly loved, what it offered at the time, I'm not entirely sure that people would necessarily appreciate it now, over 15 years later. Um, of course, if you did want to try it, don't try the PC version because that is very clearly awful. So if you've got a Dreamcast, then try that one. Uh, I'm almost loath to say if you don't, then don't try it, really. I mean, the Dreamcast version and the arcade versions really are far and away the best releases that you can get. And Crazy Taxi 2, Crazy Taxi 3 certainly uh, may now be more... Uh, it certainly might be easier to get a hold of, but they are pale limitations of what the first game accomplished uh, in its simplicity and execution. Um, it, it, it's, it's a bit hard for me to recommend whether you tried it either way or not, because if it sits well with you, it sits well with you. It, it's hard to say without you trying. So for that reason, perhaps you are best trying it, but I wouldn't expect you to enjoy it or herald it the way that that, that I have and the, and the way that I still strongly uh, adore this game. Cheers, Carl. Ryan Heyman. Uh, yeah, no, I, I like this game a lot. If people have the opportunity, I'd probably recommend hunting down the uh, Crazy Taxi 3 for the Xbox. Um, but otherwise, the, um, the updated PC version runs fairly well from my experience. And then the uh, you know, just any of these HD versions, they don't have the the right music or whatever, but I, th I think they do a pretty decent job of delivering the experience. Um, it's something that is very, like, very Dreamcast in its approach, and I love that. It's so experimental. It's so weird. It's so, like, high energy and fun and, like, sloppy in the way that those, like, old arcade games are that they probably couldn't get away with that they release something like this today. But like I, I just love all of that to come together to create this really neat experience that's just all about like having fun traversing a, a digital space. Um, this is the kind of thing that I would love to see more developers doing today. And uh, you know maybe it didn't emerge as its own genre because of uh, how hard they were on the Simpsons folks for for giving their uh, trying their hand at it. But 
um, I, I guess they can't be that litigious about it anymore. Like I, I'd love to see more of these types of games because just any any type of game that encourages me to like better know and uh, and more fully explore space is uh, entirely fine by me. So more of these, please. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. Uh, yeah, I've um, a good deal of residual affection for Crazy Taxi, and um, I wouldn't, you know, wouldn't put, count it among my all-time favourites or anything like that. Um, but it's a game that I played a ton and tried to get good at. It was a game that had, uh, like so many of the sort of the great arcade games from the great arcade era, uh, it was easy to pick up, difficult to master, deceptive depth, and um, lots of extra techniques to learn and, and master. Um, I think it's a real shame that there's no kind of definitive version out there now for all the good things that uh, Dan said about the handheld mobile versions, um, that it restores the soundtrack, that's great and everything, but ultimately you're still not controlling it in the same way, and if it doesn't support controllers, then you can't. The PC and last-gen console versions have uh, some fairly significant, although not utterly ruinous, flaws. Um, so there's no real way other than to have a Dreamcast, um, which, you know, lots of you still will, I'm sure. I do. Um, and I'm having had this conversation and really thought about the sort of shortcomings of the version that I own. I am now quite tempted to, you know, seek out a copy of, of the, you know, the GD-ROM Dreamcast Crazy Taxi just to, to have in my collection again, because I was hopeful that this uh, 360 PS3 release would, you know, basically render that redundant and because of the flaws despite some nice additions like the online leaderboards it really doesn't um and yeah that's kind of a shame that said um i think carl's right i think it is a game of its time came out of its time it was spectacular at it, at the time and it caught the vibe of the time but it is very much uh a late 90s early 2000s thing um and a lot of games don't kind of sit so firmly in a place in time in my mind as as crazy taxi does for both good and ill so i like it i have affection for it um but i don't think it's essential that you seek it out today if you haven't played it before and let's conclude with our guest dan clark um well i'd um i can say that it's not what it um it doesn't feel like a fresh game today at all by by any stretch but, but um, for people, when I've tried to sort of recommend my mum things that I think she'd enjoy because she enjoyed Crazy Taxi, like Vice City or San Andreas, and maybe even more so because it's got music that she would enjoy for hours and hours, um, the fact that... I See, I thought it was the driving around the city that was the experience for, uh, say, lay people, you know, people that don't get into the sort of arcade experience, that just want to have a drive around the city, want to put it on the 10-minute mode. Um, and the fact that that hasn't ever transferred with people or like anyone that I've recommended things to in family, they're like, yeah, but it's not crazy taxi though, is it? I think those very simple arcade mechanics are um, a part of the game. And sorry, that's really obvious to say. That of course, it's part of the game. But the fact that you can set it to 10 minutes mode means that they knew that people were going to just sort of enjoy driving around and being part of that city. And... Um, I I think that if you're going to play it today, I would go for, like, if you can't afford a Dreamcast, spend the price of a pint on the iOS version, and if you can get the Dreamcast, then just see what we've been talking to for the past hour and a half, where um, it did kind of knock 
not only ourselves off our socks, but the lay people off their socks. People that didn't really play games. They um, they latched onto it. It was a um, a thing, a cultural sort of, okay, this is something fun that everyone can get into. If you if you're into your video games history, play it for for that alone. And uh, the iOS version is dirt cheap if you can't afford a Dreamcast and go um, yeah go left and right on your touchscreen. It doesn't feel the same at all, um, but it looks nicer than the last HD console versions right. and the PC version. So um, yeah, play Crazy Taxi. There you go. Uh, thanks as always. Uh, yeah, so it just remains for me, Leon, to thank Carl, Ryan, and our guest Dan. He'll be back soon, no doubt. And to tell you that next time in issue 231, uh, we return to our long-running series now. Not sure exactly how many we are in, but uh, we're up to The Legend of Zelda, The Wind Waker, and we'll see you then. (laughs) 